Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ezra. We're going to be in Ezra chapter 7 this morning as we continue our study through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. By way of heads up, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10 and then skipping to verse 27 and finishing out the chapter from 27 onward. Now, as we go through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, what we're looking at is how the Lord has brought his people back from exile to the land of Israel to rebuild his kingdom. So these are books about how the Lord raised up servants to rebuild his kingdom. I don't know if you have ever experienced this when you've sought to do a little renovation or restoration in your own house. But for me, chores around the house like rebuilding or renovating or painting can get a little frustrating. A few months back, my wife asked me to do a little renovation on a bathroom in our house. And I thought it might take me an afternoon to do this. And I started getting in on it and the wallpaper just wouldn't come down the right way. And so there are gouges in the walls. And as we began to work on that, we realized that we needed to replace the medicine cabinet. And so now there's a huge hole in the wall. And as we move forward from that, we realize that we need to replace the, the sink and the vanity. And so that comes down and a few weeks into it, there's no tile on the floor. The walls are all gouged up and the toilet doesn't work anymore. Have you ever felt like as you've tried to make things better, your plans and desires just get frustrated? Days when it feels like no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to accomplish anything of significance or even worse you feel like you are losing ground you're going backward as you're trying to build up this feeling this reality is what the bible explains as a futility curse it is the outplaying of the curse of the fall when adam was told that thorns and thistles would grow out of the ground where he worked to bring forth fruit and grain. Last week we learned about these two prophets that the Lord had raised up to call the returned exiles to finish rebuilding the temple. The people had put off this task for 16 years and it was time for them to finish the job. And the prophet Haggai said to the Jewish people that until they finished this work, they would live under a heightened futility curse. Listen to the words that we read in Haggai chapter 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. 
Do you feel like your life is reflected in these verses? You work overtime, but there never seems to be enough money to cover your monthly expenses. You treat yourself to Chick-fil-A only to be craving it an hour later. You study all night for a test only to fail it. You leave early to get to work on time and you hit a traffic jam and it makes you late again. You start a home improvement project and you end up with a bathroom with no toilet, no sink and no tile on the floor. Are there times in your life you feel like you are under the curse of frustration? In our passage for this morning, we finally meet Ezra, the man for whom this book is named. From the end of chapter 6 that we covered last week to the beginning of chapter 7 that we begin this week, there is a 60-year gap of time. The first generation of returned exiles have completed the temple. They've celebrated the Passover. And then we hear nothing more about what happens between the dedication of the rebuilt temple in 516 B.C. and the introduction of Ezra in 458 B.C. About 60 years. Ezra, we learn in our text, is a Jew living in Persia during the reign of Emperor Artaxerxes. He had not returned with this first generation of exile. We also learn that he is a direct descendant of Moses' brother Aaron, which means he is of the priestly line. Ezra is well versed in the word of God. He sought to study and obey what the scriptures taught. And in the text, we also see that he is designated as a scribe in the royal court, which means that he held a high position within the administration of the empire. And the final thing that we learn is that he's tasked with returning to Jerusalem to instruct the people of Israel and how they are to obey the word of the Lord and in overseeing the priestly activities in the temple. Throughout this text, we hear this continual refrain. Three times we read concerning Ezra, the hand of the Lord his God was on him. You see, in contrast to the curse of frustration that was upon those who were neglecting the work of the Lord, this phrase indicates that God's empowering favor was upon Ezra. That he walked in God's power. To have the hand of the Lord upon you means that you are empowered to accomplish a work that is before you. And instead of thorns and thistles coming up, you produce 20, 40, or even a hundredfold. To have the hand of the Lord upon you means that it goes well with you. You walk in favor and in strength. Those things that you set out to do are accomplished. Ezra was given a task that's beyond his personal power to fulfill. And as we will see going forward, there are many things that could derail his work. Nevertheless, the empowering grace of God blesses Ezra in his mission so that he finds success in whatever he puts his hand to accomplish. And as we study our passage for this morning, we must ask why. Why does such empowering favor rest upon Ezra? Why did the Lord deign to help Ezra? Ezra in this work. We've all felt the curse of futility. It's part of living in this world that is broken by sin. 
But we also have before us the promise that the curse will one day be ended and that futility will be replaced by flourishing. That thorns will no longer infest the ground. That even the height of the futility curse, death itself will be replaced by the blessing of everlasting life. And what we will see in our text is that if we would live in the empowering favor of God to overcome the curse of futility, we must live under His grace. We must live in His Word. And we must live for His mission. So here now, the Word of the Lord, Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, and then 27 and following. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Ezariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shulam, son of Zodak, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Ezariah, son of Mariah, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzai, son of Buckeye, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king some of the people of Israel, some of the priests and Levites and the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Verse 27, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us go to him in prayer. Almighty God, we come to you now and we thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of your word. And we pray, Lord, that your hand of favor would be upon us as we come to your word. Lord, for we desire to know your word, to obey your word, and even to teach your word to the next generation. We ask, O Lord, that you would accomplish this great work by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Three times in our text, again, we see this phrase of God's empowering favor upon Ezra. So how is it that we might live with the hand of the Lord upon us? 
Well, the first thing that we learn is that if we would live in the empowering favor of God, we must first live under God's grace. The very first thing that we learn about Ezra is that he is in the line of Aaron, the high priest. It was to this family line that the priesthood of Israel was given. If you were born into this specific family, you receive special blessings of serving in the temple and of the worship of God. You are given special privileges to enjoy eating portions of the offerings that were given to the Lord and even learning to read and to study the word of God, which was an amazing privilege in that time. These privileges and blessings were conferred to the descendants of Aaron out of no work of their own. They were born into a family that was specially chosen by God to receive this grace and favor. Just like the new King Charles did nothing to become the King of England, he was just born into a royal family. His mother Elizabeth was the queen and therefore when she died, he became the king. And Ezra did nothing to earn the blessing of being a descendant of Aaron. Nevertheless, by the fact of his lineage, he was born with the privilege of being a priest. To engage in work that only descendants of Aaron were allowed to engage in. And the first six verses of our text are making it explicitly clear that Ezra was from this special priestly line. That is why his lineage is played out as it is, so that you can see specifically who his father and grandfather and great-grandfather was down to Aaron. And because he had this special lineage, he walked in God's favor. Look at verse 6. It says, he was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel had given And the king granted him all that he asked for, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Ezra was a man who knew the word of God and a man that had great favor before the emperor of Persia. Why? Because God had given him this special empowering favor because of his lineage. By no work of his own, Ezra was born into a family that received grace. And that is how you live in the empowering favor of God. To be born into a family of grace. Now at this point you might be thinking, well this is interesting, but not very instructive. I can't control who my parents are. I cannot make myself the heir of a kingdom or the son of a priest. Nevertheless, the word of God teaches us That by God's grace, we may be born into such a grace-filled family. The Word of God teaches us that by His grace, we can become children of God. We are promised that we who once were strangers and aliens to the people of God can be brought into the family and be given an inheritance. The Bible teaches us that even we who have no physical tie to the line of Aaron are by God's unmerited grace made a royal priesthood and a holy nation through Christ Jesus. You see, God's grace is His unmerited favor. It is a disposition of love towards those who are undeserving, who have done nothing to receive it. 
Ezra did nothing to receive God's favor in this way. He was a mere recipient of it. He was born into this family and therefore received this grace. And if we would live in the empowering favor of God, we too must receive such unmerited grace. We must be born into the family of God. You see, the Bible teaches us that ultimately we are in one of two families. You're either in the family of Adam and live with the blessings or cursings that he brings, or you are in the family of Christ. Now, by physical descent, all of us are born in Adam. And because we are born in Adam, we are born under the curse of futility. For God made a covenant with Adam. He made a relational promise. And this covenant was, if you obey my word, then you will live and you will bring flourishing and prosperity to this world and to your descendants. But if you disobey, you and your children will live under the curse of futility and death itself. Life was offered to Adam and he chose death for his family. And all the pain. And all the sin and all the brokenness that we experience in this world, all the futility stems from the curse of this broken relationship with God. This is the family that we are all born into. But God purposed by His grace to form a new family. And therefore, God became man and took on the curse that Adam had brought upon his children. The God-man Jesus Christ was born into the family of Adam and He took upon Himself the curse that Adam had brought upon us and He died the death that we deserved and He gave to His people the life that He earned through His life of righteousness. And God the Father established a brand new family through His Son, Jesus Christ. A family that would no longer live under a curse, but a family that would live under the blessing of His grace. And even now, God is adopting children into His family, causing them to be born again by His Spirit. If you remain in Adam, then you remain under the curse of everlasting death. But if by faith you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have been freed from the curse of death and you have been given the empowering favor of God. You have been born again by the Spirit into the very family of God. You see, you may have been born into the best of families. Your family has great health. You're educated. There's stability, there's care, there's resources available to you. You may have come this morning with a background from the worst of families, with addiction and abuse and poverty and ignorance and betrayal. But before the Lord God, none of this matters. This is why Paul can say that in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Neither slave nor free. 
neither male nor female, because we are heirs. We are members of the family of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you would be freed from the curse of futility, you must be born again through faith in Jesus Christ, adopted into the family of God, not by your own work, but trusting in the work of Christ. On your behalf. Now the next thing that we learn in our text. Is that if we would live in the empowering favor of God. We must also live in God's word. We must live under his grace born into the family through Christ. And we must live in his word. As we move on in our passage we see that Ezra. And a group of priests and temple servants and other Jews returned to Jerusalem from Persia. A second wave, another generation coming back from exile. And they make this four-month journey and arrive in Israel with a mandate to establish religious and civil order. We read of Ezra in the middle of verse 9 of chapter 7. Again, this phrase, and the good hand of his God was on him. For the second time, we see God's empowering favor rested on Ezra in the task that was given to bring order to the people of God. He had great success and fruitfulness because of this favor. And in verse 10, we are told why he lived in this power of God. It says, for, making this connection, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Why did Ezra walk in the favor of the Lord? Because he devoted himself to live in the word of God. That is, he devoted himself to learn the word, to obey the word, and to teach the word. And if you would walk in God's empowering favor in your life, you too are called to live in the word of God. For it is a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. When many were leaving the Lord Jesus, he looked at his disciples and asked if they would leave also. And Peter responded with words that should be reflective of our own hearts. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And because the word of God is life, we must devote ourselves to learning it. We must be experts in the word of God. Sometimes there's this notion that the responsibility to be an expert in the word of God is the responsibility of the pastor alone and no doubt a teaching elder has a special calling to know God's word and to study it but in no way does that exclude you from your call to make every effort to know God's word as best as you possibly can you need to be a man or a woman who is about reading the word of God To learn the content of God's Word. To know the stories and the heroes. To know the tensions and the resolutions. You need to know the law and the gospel. You need to know the beginning and the end. 
I know that you are capable of going deep into God's word because as I talk to you and as we interact, I see the things that capture your heart. As you talk about things like cooking or things like gardening or things like college football. And you know all about them. And you know all the ins and outs. You have the ability to dedicate yourself to something. And if you would live in the empowering favor of God, you need to dedicate yourself to knowing the Word of God. But not only that, you need to also dedicate yourself to obeying the Word of God. In the introduction to the book of Romans, Paul says... That his task as an apostle was to bring about the obedience of faith. You see, living under God's grace and being born again into the family of God doesn't mean that we shouldn't be living in his word. Yes, we live under his grace and that is how we are accepted. And that is how we are saved from the curse of futility, even death itself. But that doesn't then free us from living in obedience to his word. Rather, those who have truly known forgiveness in Christ, those who have truly been born into the family of God, will be more zealous to do what the word teaches us. To not be a hearer only and deceive ourselves. And third, we see that if we would walk in this empowering favor of God, we must teach this word. Ezra was anointed with a special call to teach the people of Israel to reestablish in Jerusalem biblical worship. And of course, there are men that are set aside to be elders who have the specific calling to instruct the body of Christ in the word of God. Nevertheless, Christian You have a call to teach the Word of God. It may be an official calling to teach a Sunday school class or a small group. Or it may be something unofficial, like reading the Word with your children or your grandchildren or sharing the Gospel with a friend or a neighbor. But if you would walk in the empowering favor of God, you need to be one for whom your life may truly be said that you gave yourself to teaching the Word of God. Every one of you, from the oldest down to the youngest, has an opportunity To teach the Word of God to others. You see, if we would walk in the empowering favor of God, we must know it. We must do it. And we must teach it. Now in verses 11 through 26 of our text, those that we skipped over, we have the letter of commission that was given from the emperor of Persia, Artaxerxes, to Ezra. And I would encourage you to go back and read those verses. And in this letter, Artaxerxes gives Ezra the mission to return to Jerusalem to teach the word of God, to bring an offering on behalf of the emperor, and to appoint civil magistrates and judges who will rule in accordance with Jewish laws and customs. In short, this letter gave Ezra the authority to govern Palestine according to the word of God. Then we read in verses 27 through 28, where Ezra, now speaking in the first person, writes 
a blessing to the Lord in response to receiving this commissioned letter from Artaxerxes. Look down at verse 27 and following. It says, Ezra says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. The Lord is in control. He's turning the heart of the king as he would to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. And here again, for the third time, we read that the hand of the Lord was on Ezra. That is, Ezra recognizes that the Lord empowered him to accomplish a great rebuilding of the people of God and reformation according to the law of God. And this is the third thing that we see in our text for how we might live in the empowering favor of God. We must live under His grace in Christ Jesus. We must live in His Word to know it and to do it and to teach it. And we must live for His mission. You may have received the impression that this sermon was about how to make your personal plan succeed. How you might live your best life now. Right? If I would get my plans accomplished then I need to live under His grace and I need to know His Word. And if I do that, then I will win the championship. I will get the raise. I will get an A on my test. I will make it into that college. If I just live under God's grace and follow His Word, then I'm going to get all the things that I want in this world. But this is the problem that causes so much of our frustration. We live for our own purposes and not for God's. We want to live under His grace, but we want to do it for our glory. We want to read His Word to affirm our life choices, not to have our lives changed and challenged. We want to live to build our own kingdom, not to see the kingdom of God flourish. But Christian, you must see that if you would be free from the futility of a dying world, you have to stop living for this world and begin living for the world that is to come. The Lord Jesus put it this way. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because there's futility. This is where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you want to go from frustration to flourishing? Do you want to go from curse to blessing? Then stop building your kingdom on earth because moth and rust and mildew and time and death destroy all kingdoms on this earth. But rather lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven in the kingdom that has no end. What is the mission of your life? What are you seeking to build? Are all the efforts of your life aimed towards your earthly endeavors? Does success mean more degrees, more money, bigger home, more extravagant vacations, better athletic achievements, more social accolades? Is that success to you? then you will be cursed with frustration. 
Because you will either fail or you will succeed only to have time and death steal all of these treasures away. But if you would live with the hand of God's empowering favor upon you, then you must aim your life towards living for His mission, building His kingdom. You must dedicate yourself to seeing the kingdom of God come in our generation. I want to pause a moment and have you imagine that we've returned to the year 19. 97, and you have been given $1,000 to invest. And you have two options. You can either invest in an online bookstore called Amazon or an online pet store called pets.com. Where would you invest? Well, at the time, it was difficult to know which direction each of these companies would take. Pet.com had this great advertising campaign. They had that silly sock puppet dog that was all over TV. Those who are alive in 1997 will remember it. Amazon, I guess, seemed like a good idea, but could you really make money by selling books online when people could just drive to the nearest books a million and get whatever book they wanted that day? But 25 years later, we know where you should invest. Because if you invested $1,000 in Pets.com, that $1,000 would be worth zero today. But if you invested $1,000 in Amazon, it would be worth millions. Because Pets.com went bust, but Amazon had a 134,000% stock increase over 25 years. And the reason that so many of us are feeling frustrated with our lives, You feel like you can't get traction. You feel like everything you put your hand to just fails. You feel like you're living under this futility curse that you plant, but you harvest hardly anything. You eat, but you're always hungry. You drink, but you're always thirsty. You make extra money and it just seems to fall out of your pocket. It's because we are continually investing our time and our talents and our efforts and our emotions into a kingdom that is failing. We keep throwing our hopes and dreams into a company that is going to go bust. But offered to you this day is the grace to invest your life in a kingdom that will have no end. To give all that you are for the building of God's kingdom. And when you live your life under God's grace, when you live your life in His Word, and when you live for God's mission, then you will truly be delivered from this curse of frustration and you will begin to flourish living in the favor of God's divine love through Christ Jesus our Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now at this time and I do pray that you would be bringing to our own minds, Lord, the ways that we have lived out this futility curse, living out of false identities. Father, living according to the false wisdom of this world, living for our own purposes. Oh, would you... Give to us the grace that we might see that we are truly 
sons and daughters of You, our God. Give us the grace to live our lives according to Your Word and ultimately, O God, would You set us about living for the rebuilding and the expansion of Your Kingdom. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.